We must always remember that Jesus has the power over Satan to change the life of the most lost person, whoever they are. Wherever you are, your situations, whether real or perceived, Jesus can reach you. The worst storm, the greatest disaster, will never separate you from the love of Christ and His ability to reach you when you need Him. As we think about the power of Jesus and what He can do, and as we consider the reality of what He's done in the life of this man that we're looking at here today, let's realize the perseverance of God and how powerful He is. But first, I'd like to mention several caveats that I think are very important when you come to Jesus. Number one, remember, change comes when you surrender. When you come to Christ, you don't just simply take His ideas and put them alongside your ideas and fix things. It's not the way it works. When you come to Christ, you surrender. That means you admit that you don't know what to do. You've tried and you failed, and He does know what to do, and you trust Him for that. At some point, you give up trying in your own power, and you submit to His power, His presence, and His influence in your life. Secondly, remember that change begins on Jesus' timetable, not ours. We'd like to fix everything all at once. We'd like to just wave a wand and everything to be fine. We'd love to just fix every broken thing in us right away, but that's not the way God works. He begins by forgiving us of our sins. The penalty is gone, and then he begins the process of working through us and in us to cleanse that sin. From us. In doing so, we understand the influence of sin. We also understand the difference we can make in the lives of those round about us. We do have accountability to those who are watching us. But thirdly, remember this change always starts on the inside and then moves outward. Don't look for change. When somebody makes a profession of faith, don't immediately think everything in their life will change. There's a story that used to be in, told in Scotland about a, a, a Scotch drinker there who just absolutely was drunk every day and night of his life. And he stumbled into a church and got saved one day. They said, you know, it's amazing. God can even save a drunk and a liar. And he did. They took the man out to the, uh, the nearby creek and they were baptizing him. And it was the dead of winter. And they broke a hole in the ice, and they walked down in there, and they dunked him under, and they brought him up, and then they dunked him under, and then they did it a third time. And someone from the banks yelled down to him and says, Is that water cold? He said, No, not at all. And a little old lady in the side said, Dunk him again, Parson, he's still a lion. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a while to get us where we need to be. But God can do it, and we have to wait for that change. Don't focus on the change. Focus on Jesus. And as you see Jesus come out of their heart, then you'll see a difference. In the story this morning, we see a frightening and a deplorable scene. This was not our average graveyard. These were tombs, hewn in the side of solid rock. It was a place where bodies were taken and they were laid in the tomb to deteriorate and to reduce down to nothing but bones. It was not a pleasant place. It was considered a dirty place to hang around. You wouldn't want to be there. 
It was raw and real. There were no props or staging here, no pretense or deception. This was not an environment with a demon-possessed man in it who was constantly cutting himself and constantly bleeding. It was not the place you'd want to go near. There was a reason he was there. Last October in Santa Fe County, New Mexico, they were filming an American Western movie entitled Rust. It was set in the 1880s Kansas wilderness. Everything was perfect for it. They had the, the desert there. They had everything laid out just as it should. And, and Alec Baldwin was playing the man that was the lead in the, in the show, Harlan Rust. The buildings were built. Everything was just perfect. The costumes were, were ideal. To look at the framework of that, it seemed the typical quintessential Western film. But on that morning of filming, when they handed the star his pistol, the prop pistol that he knew had blanks in it, a mistake had been made. A discharge went off, and all pretense of 19th century West ended when they heard the shrieks and the cries, and they saw the real blood and the specter of death and the destruction that was there. Suddenly ended everything that mattered. A life was lost, and others were scarred forever. Filming for the movie was suspended and will remain that way. Sometimes reality can be so disturbing that we can't pa paint a picture like it. The story today is a disturbing scene. We have, as we meandered through the first part of the Gospel of Mark, seen so many stories here. We saw the persistence of Jesus going after a healing of the mother-in-law of Simon. We saw him walk up to the banks and, and issue a call to fishermen to walk away from their career and to follow him. And they did so. We saw the story of Jesus preaching and four friends of a man who had been crippled all of his life were so determined to heal him that they lowered him through the roof to get to Jesus. And because of that, being face to face with Jesus, he was changed. But this morning we observed the persistence of Jesus in dealing with supernatural evil. You see, he's not afraid of anything. Whatever situation you struggle with in life that, that you are absolutely terrified by, he's not afraid of. In this passage, Mark is deliberate in his proof that Jesus is the Son of God. In his gospel, Jesus has just come from stopping a quiet stir on a sea. He woke up and he silenced the sea, showing his power over the elements. Then from there, he goes into a situation where a woman is healed from a flow of blood, showing his power over sickness. And then Jairus' daughter had died. And he entered the scene and he showed his power over death. But now he faces the most difficult and the most frightening for many people. Death has some closure to it. But when you have someone that's a demon, someone who has no limit to their strength and their power, what do you do with that? You banish them away from town and you tremble at the very thought of facing that. But because of that, we understand the influence of Jesus and His persistence. 
There's a word that reoccurs in this account, and I think it's Mark's way of calling to us and to realize what's going on. Over and over again, it talks about people begging. People begging. And I want you to see the image of that because it draws us towards a situation that we don't understand about the persistence of Jesus Christ in our life. The first situation I want you to notice is this. The demons beg Jesus not to torment them. Isn't it ironic in a community where most people there did not recognize Jesus as an authority? Some knew he was a good man, but few knew that he was really God. The one who recognized them first were the demons. Those gathering of demons, probably a thousand in this man, called legion as they had named themselves, understood who Jesus was. The reality is we follow through this part of Mark another, ver- another word, not just the word begging, but the word immediately. Because Jesus acted in such a powerful way immediately. And in that, as soon as Jesus is out of the boat, he's confronted. This demon comes to him, understands his authority and his power, understands that his words change everything. And they beg not to be banished away. They're fulfilling their destiny as demons. They're creating havoc and fear and terror there among the people. That's exactly what they were there for. And they did not want that to end. Many times in life, we forget the power that our Savior has. James understood, the half-brother of Jesus, in James 4, 7, he said, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We often forget that. We try everything. We read books and listen to tapes. We go to seminars and think somehow our life will get better. And we forget that all of those things are nice and they're good. They make a difference, but they are not a substitute for the power of God in our life. They will never overcome the influential influence of a word from Jesus. Here we see the purpose of Jesus in one simple snapshot. Out of the devil's clutches. Torn, naked, destitute, and wild. Jesus reaches in and saves a man. A man who was destined to die. The demons would eventually kill him. He was in agony and he was suffering. But Jesus has power over the worst of Satan's devices. You say, preacher... God wouldn't understand what I'm going through. He, he knows more about it than you do. You say, He wouldn't care to bother with my simple situation. It's just something I'm suffering from. Oh, yes, He would. He loves you. He cares about you. Everything around us has an influence on us. Every situation. And as surely as God will use a situation to bless you, Satan will use an obstacle to oppress you. Always. He will do that. Let me ask a question real quick. Zach, how are you doing up there with that light blinking? It is rough. I didn't ask Barry because I know how Barry feels about it. That light's been bothering me for weeks. Now we've got one blinking over here, don't we, Jeff? Things like that. Now, I did not put that light up there, Zach. I did not do that to keep people awake. 
But things like that distract you. Usually it's the lights up under the balcony that are blinking, especially that one right in front of the attorney there. It often blinks. This one over here stopped some time ago. It's amazing how things like that will influence us and change us. And by the way, we are going to fix these lights, so you know, don't worry about that. Things like that affect us. They make a difference. God's aware of that. And He's able to work in our lives and to change our situation. He hears your voice. He hears your cry. Think of the most lost person you can think of and imagine the difference that Jesus could make in their life if they'd just trust Him. You really think that, that, that someone can be made normal, that suffered the ravages of sin, the destitute, raw experience of living without God? Yes. Jesus loves them. That neighbor or friend or, or relative or co-worker that, that you just know their life is coming apart step by step. Jesus can save them. The power of Jesus has these demons begging. But then there's another group that begs. The people of the area beg Jesus to leave. Now that's the mystery to me. Why would these people go to the one that had, had delivered them from, from, from this, this danger and ask him to leave? It's ironic that that's happening that way. The demons wanted him to not destroy them or send them to judgment. Yet the very people who benefited from this are wanting Jesus to leave. There's a reason. They didn't understand that He was the Messiah. They were blinded. All they knew was He was more powerful than the demons, and they were fearful of what He might do to them. They didn't take time to get to know Him. People encounter Jesus in many different ways. It's important for them to hear in an unobtrusive environment where they can take in the truth in a meaningful way. That's exactly what these children are doing over in Children's Church right now. They're hearing about Jesus that loves them, Jesus that died for them, Jesus that will save them. And their tender hearts, in an environment where they can make a decision on their own, will choose our Lord. But so often people become calloused with time and indifferent. They grow up and they think that, that the, the agonies and the sufferings of life are just a part of life and you have to endure. And some of those things make people hard. Some of them make people angry and bitter. And some people build up a wall that prevents the Spirit of God speaking to them. And these people wanted Jesus to leave. They did not know what He was up to. They didn't care. They just wanted peace and quiet. Remember this, true peace is not the cessation of a disaster. True peace is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that, that's the only thing that will ever work. When you see the power of Jesus, don't let the unimportant matters of life cause you to send Him back where He came from. Don't think that your ideas are better than anything He would have. What He has is beautiful for you. These people begged Jesus to leave, and He, and he did. 
He left. And they had eternity to regret that. Be careful what you tell Jesus to do. Don't turn Him away. Especially today. But lastly, I want you to realize this. The healed man begged Jesus to let him follow him. He wanted to so badly. He understood. He had been there through the, the whole storm of life. He had been there when the demons led him to pick up the stones and cut himself. When he tore the chains until his skin broke and his muscles were ripped to shreds and his, his bones broke. He saw the agony and felt it in a realistic way. And he understood what he had been healed from. Some people never understand what God has saved them from. And they forget the blessing of life. You know, it's amazing here. It says that when, when Jesus was getting into the boat, he, he showed up and said, please let me go with you. Please let me go. But you see, Jesus was not healing simply to heal. If, if, if that was his only purpose, he would have just waved his arms and healed everybody on earth. And then waited a while, and when they got messed up again, he'd done it again. But that's not what it was about. Jesus came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. His first desire was to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said that very plainly. The Jewish people were to come to him as the Messiah, and when they came to him as Messiah, then they would be sent out to the world. They would have been what is referred to as a kingdom of priests. They would have shared the gospel with the whole world. But he came into his own, and his own received him not, according to the gospel of John. And because of that, he reached out for everyone. Jew, Gentile, self-righteous and sinner, intellectual and demon-possessed. All of them he reached for. But I want you to realize this. He did something magnificent in the life of this demon-possessed man. You know what's amazing? We, don't, we never know his name. We know the name of the demons that possessed him. We don't know anything about him. But we do know this. Jesus sent him on a journey that would change his home forever and his community. He said, you go back home and you tell people what God has done for you. What a great sending. Oh, it would have been easy to go along with Jesus. He could have been a part of, of the demonstration of the power of Jesus. He could have gone before him and said, look at me, I, I was possessed with a thousand demons. I was destroying myself. But in the midst of that, He saved me. And look at the difference it's made. No. Jesus didn't need Him to tell the story. Jesus continued to heal and to reach out to those who were broken. He needed to go and tell His story. His persistence changed His home and His community. He went back and He spoke truth. It says, and all the people were amazed. Now I want to tell you something. God has put a calling on all of us. You may have not been freed from a thousand demons, but you were freed from death and hell when He saved you. Your story may not be as grand as this story, 
But it was not where you were. It's who came and got you that matters. And what are you doing with your story? Who are you telling? You may say, preacher, I'm working hard enough just to to keep food on the table and, and to keep us with a roof over our heads and clothes on our backs. It takes nothing more than trust in God to tell your story as you were going. Because that's what the Great Commission says in Matthew 28. It doesn't say, uh, go out and do this, 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 and this. It, it, it says, as you are going, wherever you're going, as you're going to lunch, as you're going to work, as you're going to play, as you're going to shop, tell that story. Let somebody know what Jesus has done for you. You know, that's a struggle to do that because, number one, that means that you have to be a demonstrator of the gospel. You have to have something within you that makes a difference. doesn't mean you always smile because sometimes you shouldn't smile. There are times that you have to weep with those who are weeping. You have to be sad with those who are sad. But if Jesus is within you through His Holy Spirit and He's making a difference in your life, you'll make a difference in the lives of those around about you. You will simply by the nature of the love of God, want to share that truth and to make a difference. God expects you to do that. There was a young boy that lived down in Florida many, many years ago. He went forward in a tent revival and and he said yes to Jesus. The old man that was conducting the tent revival looked at him after he put his hands on his head and he prayed for him and and he led him through the Romans road to be saved. He looked at him and he says, Will you commit to share Jesus with someone that God brings to you? Will you commit to do that? And he said, Yes, sir, I will. And he made that commitment. And that little boy went out on his merry way, happy, happy as he could be for weeks at a time. One day he was out on the beach, which was near his home, walking down the beach collecting shells because he would sell them to tourists that would come to town, and he had boxes and boxes of shells. As he was walking along, he saw a man ahead of him that he'd not seen before. It was an old man who was an alcoholic, a derelict, homeless who lived just among the warehouses and the wanderings of that place. And the old man came up to him and he had in his hand an extension cord, about six feet long. Nothing special back then. But he looked at the boy and he said, Would you like to buy an extension cord? And the boy said, I don't even have anything you plug in. Why would I need an extension cord? The old man said, I've been a fool. I drank up all my money this month and I'm broke. And I'm trying to sell this extension cord to buy some food because I haven't eaten in four days. That young man, by the way, his name was Adrian Rogers. That young man looked up at him and he said, I don't have any money. And I don't have any food, but I've got something better. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he began to tell him his experience just a few weeks before. And about how he felt convicted in his heart. And he wanted to know that he had a home in heaven. And he said, you know, I walked down that aisle. And he said, I knew 
when I walked back up it, that Jesus was in my heart and I was forgiven of my sins. And he said, that old man looked at him and he says, I want it, I want it. He said, will you pray for me? Adrian looked at him and he said, now I can't imagine Adrian Rogers, but he was just a kid. He said, I don't even know how to pray. And he said, I bowed my head and I guessed at it. And he said, I guessed right. He said, he asked Jesus into his heart. He said, that old man got up and he said, young man, you've changed my life. No more am I going to struggle with what I'm struggling with anymore. Thank you. Thank you for giving to me. You know the rest of the story because Adrian Rogers did not remain a little boy. He grew up. And amazingly, to this day, and you know Adrian Rogers is dead. He's in heaven. But he still preaches. Recordings go out daily around the world of his sermons. And he touches lives because he was saved by God who is persistent. Who are you sharing with today? Give that hope to the world. They need it. The next person you encounter when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you may be giving to them the last opportunity to make a choice before they step into eternity. Don't hesitate to speak. It's not your voice. It's God's that will speak through you. And you'll change them forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much that there's power in a name. As much as there was power in the name of Legion, a thousand demons, yet they were terrified by the name of Jesus. And we trust that name. We rely on that name. We have confidence in the name of Jesus that it will change us forever and always. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice that's seeking for a difference in their life, that today they will trust in the persistent, consuming love of God as it is offered to them. That salvation would begin when they say yes. begins with surrender. It's not what you do. It's what's done for you that you could not do for yourself. So Father, I ask that you speak to someone today that needs salvation in their life. And Father, if there's another decision that must be made today, someone struggling with, I pray that with the first notes of the instruments, as we begin the invitation, that they would come forward and say, Yes, Lord, I will join this church. Yes, I'll be baptized. Yes, I'll, I'll come forward and, and make a public profession of faith. Father, speak to someone even now. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.